salvation is, how do we have strength for day-to-day life, and it all comes down to either you're living by faith or by law, which is the same way of saying you're going to live by God doing things in your life or by you doing things in your life. And the book of Galatians deals a lot with salvation, and as we do, I'm going to step down over here, and I think you all know where I'm going right now, but our salvation has three components, and they're, they're time-based, right? The first, we are justified, meaning that when we place our trust in Christ, we are saved from the penalty of sin. We're found innocent, and a whole bunch of important things happen when we're justified. And way over on this side, in the far future, there will be a moment in time, just like we had a moment in time when we first believed in the past, there'll be a moment in time in the future where we will be glorified. We will be saved from the very presence of sin, heaven. We look forward to that. But in the middle, we have this struggle time where we call it sanctification, where we're being saved, current, present tense, from the power of sin. And that sounds great, that we, we have the Holy Spirit within us, we can be saved from the power of sin, but we're still sinful people. And we screw it up all the time. And now Galatians deals a lot with sanctification, mostly, but also sometimes talks about justification. And we kind of need to kind of keep an eye on which one's which because we depend on God for all of it. It's all by faith. But the Galatians sometimes mix in a little bit of law with being justified, but they also mix in a lot of law on being sanctified, that we've added these rules, this mosaic law, which we'll get to in just a few minutes. The passage we're going to look at today to take a look at this is uh, chapter 3, 15 through 22 that Bill just read for us. And it's kind of a long passage. There's a lot of, lot of verses here. And if you're like me, uh, depending on what translation you're reading out of, it's a little bit confusing. It, it kind of goes back and forth just a little bit. And the only way to really make sense of this, the pretty much stick our nose to the grindstone and plow through it a little bit and kind of go verse by verse and kind of put it in maybe uh, break it apart just a little bit, put it in our own terms, and it actually tells us a very nice coherent story. And the story it's going to tell us has to do with this question, the central question of the day. How is God's promise given? How does God give us his promise? And again, promise being the, the hard, important part of this. And you have two choices. It's by faith, which we've talked about, or it's by the law. And what's happened with the Galatian churches, and kind of setting that context, is the Galatian churches have decided that God's promise comes through faith and law. And remember when we talked about law, we talked about it last week. It's, it's not the Ten Commandments. It's the 613 mitzvah. It's a long set of rules, and they deal with everything. And you have to follow them perfectly your whole life, or else you're condemned. And that's impossible. Only one man has ever done that, and that was Jesus Christ. And that's why he was perfect. He was perfect in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of God. We can't do that. It, it, you just can't. 613 laws your entire life, and they're, they're pretty subtle, some of them. Some of them are very obvious. So Galatians... Faith versus law. God versus man. What Jesus did for me or what I'm doing for myself. 
Do you want to be Jesus-righteous or self-righteous? So that's what we're going to take a look at today. And the central question, God's promise being delivered. And again, it's kind of about fundamentals, about justification and about sanctification. And the first, there's two terms that we want to get into here that are really key to this passage, just setting a little context. The first one is covenant. If you're taking notes, this would be good stuff to write down. Covenant is a, a term that we hear a lot in the Bible, but you may not think of it in daily life. And one way to understand covenant is a contract. It's a little bit more tricky. There's some, there's some subtleties to it, and I'll just mention those. First off, uh, the word covenant in the Bible means fully formed and final. It's complete. It's something that's a, a completed, um, it's in its perfect form. It can't be changed. It also means covenant in the Bible. It's non-revocable. It can't be taken back. Okay, once it's there, it's there. It's there forever. And there's two types of covenants. There's what we'll call bilateral or two-party. Sometimes we'll all refer to those a lot as conditional covenants where two parties have to agree, like a labor contract between a union and the employer, like a contract you have, I'll do this work for this much money. Those are bilateral or conditional covenants. You don't get paid if you don't do the work. That's a conditional or bilateral covenant. The other kind are unilateral or unconditional covenants. And that's where one person does it, and that's it. That's, it's, it's a contract that says, I will do this. No conditions, no strings attached. Covenants are very important in the Jewish culture. When Paul mentions covenants, as he's talking to the Galatians, who were Jewish, uh, former Jewish by religion, but Jewish by race, that really spoke to them. They know a lot about covenants. And so we, it, it's, it makes sense for us to pause for a moment to talk about a little bit, a glimpse of the fuller meaning of, of covenants. And in the Bible, what you'll find is there are a lot of covenants. And I'll mention four that are, are come right out of this one. That This chart is from Moody Bible. Um, there's the Abrahamic covenant, which we're going to be dealing with, but it's out of Genesis, and it talks about land, seed, and blessing. And then those kind of branch out into these three other covenants. And then there's a fifth covenant that we need to talk about, and that's the Mosaic covenant, and that's the law. And we can go through each one of these. It's, there's, there's great, uh, interesting things. You'll notice that the four in red, those are all unconditional covenants. Those are all one-sided. God will do, period. And then there's the Mosaic covenant, which is in blue, and it is conditional. It's a bilateral. It's a two-party contract. And in essence, we're not going to cover all these covenants. It'd be worth your time to do so. They're good to study. But the Mosaic covenant today, we're going to kind of split this into just two and keep these two ideas in mind. There's unconditional and conditional. The unconditional, we're going to speak about the Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant or the covenant with Abraham, the promise. And we're going to talk about the Mosaic covenant, the law. The Mosaic covenant is a little bit the simplest way to put this. God is saying to the people of Israel, if you obey, I will bless you. If you disobey, I will discipline you. That's a conditional contract. You see the God is saying, if you, then I will. Whereas the other four are, I will. Okay? So, Covenants are big, 
There's some really specifics to them. They're worth digging into. Keep it kind of on that, for today's purpose, there's kind of the basics there, a conditional and an unconditional. But there's more. This is important, actually, to the passage. We need to talk about history for a second, and I want to put up a little timeline of the entire material universe. Okay? All you need to know about the entire universe on one timeline. Over here, we have the material universe was created by God. Over here, we have the material universe will end. Right in the middle, more or less. I guess it should be more in the middle. But Jesus Christ comes in the middle of that, which is the cool part about the Christmas season is this, this is massive hinge point of history. Everything changes. Everything was designed around our universe, around the coming of Jesus Christ. And timelines are kind of a big deal. But right here we have Jesus comes, which we mark our dates by. The book of Galatians was written just about 40 years after the birth of Christ. Right here in about roughly the year 1000, uh, Leif Erikson discovered North America. The Normans invaded England. Those are big milestones in history. And then over here we have today. So we're you know, roughly 2,000 years plus, 1,000 years, 50 years. Got it? Okay. We talked about the mosaic. Oh, and this yellow line is the church age. We're living in the New Testament church age. Book of Acts, church started. Big deal. Moses, the Mosaic Covenant, and these are rough figures, and people will disagree, and it, don't get too tied in, but roughly 1,600 years before the birth of Christ, Moses was given the law by God, and that was a covenant. The law came in roughly 1,600 B.C. So long time between Moses getting the law and Jesus Christ, in fact, about 1,600 years. That's more than the distance we have from a lot of big things in our history. That's, we've got about 2,000 years, I guess on the big picture, that's about the same, if you think about it. For our part, it's more than our lifespan, right? More than a whole bunch of lifespans. This is what's important about this. If you back up in the dates, the Abrahamic covenant came 400 some years earlier than the Mosaic covenant. And that's all you really need to know about that part, is the Abraham, when God gave the promise to Abraham, and it was credited to Abraham as faith, as righteousness, that came before the law. And that those happened, you know, we're kind of, Jesus Christ is kind of in between with the Abrahamic covenant and where we are today. So we're talking a long span of history here, about 4,000 years we're going to look at. Got that? That's pretty simple. The thing about promises are, what are they based on? A self-help guy named Stephen Richards, I don't really know much about what he writes, but he wrote this, and I thought this is a pretty good quote. Promises are only strong as the person who gives them. Right? Your dad promises you something, he's human, might be able to make it happen, might not. God promises it, it's a little different. The promise that we're dealing with is a big deal. And that's the second term we need to know before we dig into the passage. Promises are based on the promiser. And the word promise in the Bible has two parts. First, it's an announcement. And the second one, it's an official blessing or an official promise. There's something very formal about it. So it's announced and it's official that there's this, this idea of a blessing or this idea of a, the promise of a, a, something will be given officially 
and it's kind of announced kind of very publicly. It's a big deal when that happens. So promise is a little bit more than just what we think of as a, a promise in human terms. The word is almost always used in both the Old and New Testaments with God. You don't generally see the word they use for promise being used like, and Joe Bob promised such and such. To such. No, it's usually God making these promises. So it's a pretty important term, and it, it stands out just a little bit. The specific context today when we see promise in this passage is the promise made to Abraham. Believe, faith, saved, justified. And I'll always point over here. When I point over here, Abraham. Okay? When I'm pointing in here, the sanctification phase, probably going to be talking about the law. So God is the one making this promise. And again, if the promise is based on the promiser, is it trustworthy? Well, we have quite a bit of scripture to look at for God's promises, perfect. For God's power, all-powerful. God's wisdom, all-wisdom. There are some nice factual things. If you're a historian and you get into history, you can look through your history and see where there's been a promise made and it was fulfilled, or there was a prophecy made and it was fulfilled later in time. So our God that's making this promise has not only showed us that he's the creator of the universe, that there's a plan for our sin, that Jesus Christ is going to come, and all of history revolves around Jesus coming for us, but there's also these things that are factual, that can be counted, that can be measured, where God has done it, and he's been consistent, and he has fulfilled every one of them. So the promise is it's our faith, and there's an emotional knowledge that we have. And if you've been saved, you, you feel something. The Holy Spirit's within you. But I think there's also some very objective, very factual, very historic things. We can look and say, this happened, and it was fulfilled. And that makes God different than any other promise you're ever going to receive. God is all-powerful, all-wise, and he has a plan. He's got a plan, and the plan is trustworthy. So if you can keep in mind that there's covenants and there's two, conditional and unconditional, and that they have purposes, and this idea that the promise is something big based on God and it's something you can count on, if you keep those two things, this passage will make a lot of sense, even if it bounces around just a little bit. In fact, before we even dig in, let me summarize it. This passage makes four points, okay? And you can jot these down. As you read it, it'll kinda, you'll see how it filters through. Four points from this passage. The promise of God is perfect and binding. Now, when I say the promise, I mean that faith saves you, that you're saved by faith, not works. You're saved by faith. That's the promise. The second point, the law came from God to show our need for Jesus Christ. The law, when it came to Moses, was to show our need for a, a Savior, for Jesus Christ. The law does not break the promise that God made to Abraham. The law can't break that. And the last one is, we receive God's promise, which is answering our big question. We receive God's promise in faith. Okay? So, our passage has four main points. Those are the four points. Let's dig into it kind of quickly here. Um, verse 15. Paul starts with brethren, brothers and sisters, family members. There's a closeness here. There's a familiarity here. These guys, this is a personal message. Remember that the Galatian church was messing with the gospel. They were adding things to what the gospel says, and that is the most serious thing you can do. 
That's a big deal to Paul, and it's very personal to Paul. So he's, he's calling them back. Brothers and sisters, listen to what I'm saying. I want to put this in everyday terms. I want to put this in simple terms. And what he says is, if you have a contract between people, you don't break it. it you don't change it. Once it's made, it's a contract. He talks about a, a will. Uh, you don't break that. Once it's made, it's made. That's that idea that covenants are they're binding, they're permanent. You don't alter it. Okay? He uses an example here of a covenant or a, a human relations, just meaning no one sets it aside. Like, you don't change it. If there's a labor agreement between a union and an employer, one side just doesn't decide to, to mess with it and change the terms. That will result in lawsuits. Big things happen. That stops. You can't do that. Next verse. Paul links it back to Abraham. Okay, the, cover, the covenant with Abraham, when he makes up, anytime you see Abraham's name, if you're Jewish, you perk up. Big deal. Whoa, Abraham, father of the Jewish race, in literal terms, and father of all of us, in spiritual terms. Seed, Jesus Christ. Okay, if you go back, and we'll get into this as we study through, that we go through our, our Advent candles, uh, that Jesus would come from the line of David, which would come descendant from Abraham. There's a... Hmm. <laughs> Always makes you nervous. Uh, that that goes along with those prophecies we talked about. That the nations would be blessed by Jesus Christ. That means all of us. And that blessing came from Abraham, who, if you remember Abraham's story, was childless for so long. So the promise of God given to Abraham that a Savior would come, the seed, born fully man and still fully God. Christmas seed. Look at that. Right here in the middle of Galatians. Got a little Christmas verse, and you didn't even know that was coming today. Funny how everything in the Bible will point back at some point to Jesus Christ. Next verse. Paul again tries to kind of put this in simple terms. Okay, and if you were listening to Paul, this would it'd be very, simple, very plain language. He's saying the law came with Moses but something happened before that. The promise came first. And there's kind of three main points. He's putting three facts out in this passage, in this little verse here. Three facts. One, God promised justification by faith to Abraham. He then delivered the law. Later, 430-some years later, the law came. And the third fact is the important one. The law does not break the promise. Okay? If you think of the covenant as a contract, you made a covenant with Abraham, and the law is like an addendum, a supplementary addition to the contract. It doesn't change the original contract. The original contract is faith saves you, justifies you by faith. When the law came, it doesn't break that. Because the, the promise came first. The law came second. So far Okay. Timing's a big deal here, and that's the point of this verse, is that the law did not invalidate the original promise. Now, the fundamental of the faith is God is consistent. God doesn't change his rules on us. The Bible is one completely, it all goes together. It doesn't disagree with itself. And so Paul is writing to these, these churches very, very passionately, to explain this, this fundamental truth that God is consistent. And he's reminding everybody that the promise came first. And if it, that's the promise. It's not based on law. He didn't say to Abraham that you had faith 
and you did a bunch of good works and were circumcised, so it's credited to you as... No. He said, you believed and it was credited to you as righteousness. Salvation, justification by faith. The law came later, and the law must have a different purpose. So our salvation does not come through the law. The God granted the promise, the salvation by the justification by faith to Abraham on the basis of a promise. That's the verse. Why the law then? Okay, so if our salvation, our justification is based on faith, why, do, why is the law here? Paul explains that. And it's a good question. I'm sure it was in the minds of the Galatian churches to listen to this going, well, why is the law? The law was a big deal to the Jewish church. What's going on? He keeps it very simple here. The law is added to demonstrate that we have a need, that we sin. Because we're human, we get very proud of ourselves. We like to be righteous. We like to be self-righteous. We like to have rules that we can follow that kind of make us feel like, yeah, we're doing it right. We're doing good here. The law makes it clear because it's so many laws and they have to be followed perfectly. The law makes it plain, nope, you're not righteous. You can only be righteous through faith. And so the law's purpose is to demonstrate the need for Christ. We're sinners. It's in our DNA. It all goes back to Adam that we can't change that on our own. We have no way to change our DNA. We have a sinful DNA. Temporarily, we can kind of do some good, and some people that aren't Christians certainly do good, but at the end of the day, we're still sinners. We can't become righteous. We only can do that through God. So God brought us the promise that there'd be somebody to account for that. The law shows our transgressions from sin. And Paul uses this term here, talks about a mediator. That's Moses. When God gave the law, Paul's just trying to make it real clear, the promise is different than the law. Want an example? Well, God spoke directly to Abraham, but when he spoke to, Mo- when he spoke to the Israelis, he used Moses. He used a mediator. He used a negotiator, if you will. Like if you're doing a contract, you sometimes have negotiators help work out the contract. Moses was the negotiator between Israel and God. It's a different covenant. It's a different process. There's something else going on here. And he sent a mediator to make that deal with the Israelis. So unilateral, unconditional covenant, God to man directly. Talking to the Israeli race, the Jewish people, God used a mediator. Very different. Okay? Paul wants to make this clear. Two-party, use a mediator. Didn't do that with Abraham. The covenant that came first was simple. Believe, you're saved. You're justified. With the Israeli race, with the Jewish people, he used a mediator, and it was a conditional covenant. You obey, you're blessed. You disobey, you are going to be cursed. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have discipline. Um, A lot of it had to do with staying in the land, The land that was promised the Israeli race, when they were obedient to the law, they stayed in the land. When they were disobedient, they were sold into slavery. They were broken up. They were invaded. That was all used by God, and it all points back to this difference, this covenant between the Abraham covenant 430 years earlier, no middleman. The Jewish covenant, the Mosaic covenant, used a middleman, and it's different. Faith leads to righteousness. Obedience was for the Jewish race at a certain time. It's a limited issue. 
And so let's wrap this up, these last two verses, where Paul kind of tries to bring it all into one big point. Paul's making it clear here, the law isn't bad in and of itself. In fact, he says, should, you know, is it a, that, where is it there, the uh, may it never be up here? That's a very, very strong term. Gary likes to, to point that out, that meganoito sticks in my mind somehow. It means may it never be, very, very strong. So the law is not contrary to, to, to God. It's the laws to show us that we can't get there on our own. We have to have a Savior. The law shows us that we are all, it says, shut up or uh, imprisoned by the law. The law shows us that we're, we're slaves to that. We're slaves to sin. We can't get there on our own. Okay? Romans 3.10. There is none righteous. No, not even one. We're all sinners. There's no way to get to God through our own efforts. The law can't do that. If the law could save us, God would have given the law to Abraham first. He would have done it that way. But he didn't. He gave righteousness by faith, the justification by faith first. The law was separate from that. The law is not bad. It just shows us that we need Jesus Christ. We can't follow it perfectly. The law cannot save us. It says the law cannot impart life. Faith can impart life. We have a desperate need for a savior because we're sinners only our faith jesus christ taking that can do that for us great 18th century 19th century theologian a guy named herman bavenick he was uh in the 1800s he basically was used by god to bring revival to all of holland holland went through this great transformation in the 1800s um in early 1920, uh, Herman had a series of heart attacks, and he was literally laying in bed dying, and somebody asked him if he was afraid for the future. And I think Herman might have been reflecting on this notion of law and grace when he said this. He said, my dogmatics, I mean, uh, theology, doctrine, avail me nothing, nor my knowledge, but I have my faith, and in this I have all. We don't need great doctrine. It's important. We don't need to follow great laws. Being a good following, being observant, all can be very good. But ultimately, for our salvation, my friends, it's our faith. And that's all we need is our faith in Jesus to be saved. Which circles back to our central idea that the promise given to Abraham 435 years before the law came to Moses that the law does not nullify that promise. It's an addendum. It's a separate issue. It's for the Jewish race. Remember our four points of the passage? That the promises of God are perfect and binding. That the law came to show our need for Christ. That the law does not break God's promise. And that we receive God's promise through faith in Christ. Our central question, how, do we how is God's promise delivered to us? It's delivered by faith in Christ Jesus. And it's a strong promise. It's a promise, as I've said, backed up by the Creator who has shown Himself to be trustworthy emotionally, if you will, in your life, historically, factually. And in the Bible, God's holy word, over 2,000-some years or 4,000 years of story, all has the same point. Faith in Christ will save you, will justify you. 
So how do we walk away from this? What do we, what do we say about when you walk away, the takeaway, the application of this word? And again, when I tell you this is what I'm taking away, that's not holy. That's just me. Now, I would challenge you to wrestle with that a little bit in the Holy Spirit. What do you take away? How has the Holy Spirit used this passage in your life? What do you walk away with? Is it to do with the amazing covenants, to do with the history, and to look into that? Here were my two. And they're, they're kind of related, and um, I won't flesh them out a whole lot right now, but uh, I'll let you know just a little preview. Next week, they'll be the same two applications. That's kind of interesting how this all lined up together. But it's kind of a look ahead and look behind. It sort of a sounds contradictory, and let me explain. We like to progress. I think as, as people here in Ephrata, we, we like to see progress. We like to move forward. And we get frustrated when we don't see it, feel it, or experience it. As a person, we want to be this sanctification. We want to be, on a daily basis, progressively sanctified. I want to be a little closer to God today than I was yesterday, and I want to be closer to Him tomorrow. And when that doesn't happen fast, we get frustrated. As a church, corporately, we want to be sanctified. We want to grow as a church. We want to be better at outreach. We've been working on that for about a year now, that, that we want to be an outward-focused church. We want to reach this community. When it doesn't happen right now, we get a little frustrated. We get a little kind of uncomfortable. We get a little restless, and we can get discouraged by that. Um, I know personally that happens to me. My friends sometimes get that way, where we see what we want to do, but we're not there yet. So, man, that kind of just it frustrates us. And this is what you need to remember. And I'm building up to the takeaway. It's not our timetable. It's God's timetable. Think about how long, 1,400 years, between the law and Jesus Christ. 1,400 years between Moses and the coming of Jesus Christ. The last prophet, where God spoke through a prophet, was 400 years between Jesus and the last prophet. A silence. Imagine being a Christian during that time. You have to be sometimes patient. And how do you do that? Well, for me, the first one is you focus on the goal. I think of the mountaintop, and I'll give some examples of that. If I think about the end result, it gives me context for what I'm doing today, and it gives me a little motivation to keep doing it. So I focus on the goal. If our goal is corporately as a church, we want to be outward focused, that's the goal. Now, what am I doing today to work on that? Okay, and I can, I can get my head down and work on that. So the goal, the target, the top of the mountain, the prize, if you will, is context and motivation. For me, it works that way, keeping that big picture in mind. Um, it's helpful for the most part, but you've got to look ahead. You've got to look up. You've got to keep that bigger picture in mind. And it, big picture doesn't mean next year. I mean, five years, ten years, where are we going to be? We get pretty trapped in looking just a little bit in front of us, thinking we're really, yeah, we're looking at the big picture because I want to know where I'm going to be in June. No, I want to know where I'm going to be ten years from now as a church. That's the big picture. The second one, or the other number one, is you've got to look back every now and then. You can't just always be looking forward and looking at the big picture. You've got to balance that a little bit with looking backwards. And I, I like to think, and I'll use this example next week, if you're hiking up a, a good-sized hill or mountain, the, it switches back, right? 
because unless you're Kievan, you can't go straight up the, the mountainside. Only Kievan can do that. You've got to go, I've got to go back and forth. And when you're going back and forth, you, you don't even see the top sometimes. Sometimes you even go down as you go around something. And that'll make you discouraged because you can't see the result. But what I try to do is I look back behind me and think, wow, I've actually come a little ways. That's encouraging. If you're in the middle of a, a rehab kind of situation like Gary is doing right now. Um, I've had my knee blown apart a couple times. I've had some other issues physically that were kind of exciting where you didn't have any strength for a long time and lost a bunch of weight. One of the things they do in rehab, especially physical type stuff, is they videotape your first day of physical therapy so that Gary, he'll have his foot apart. At some point, he'll have to do some physical therapy, which will probably be very humorous for everybody but Gary. And he'll try to walk, and it won't go well. He'll have to be supported. He'll barely take a step. Now, weeks will go by. Months will go by, maybe. And Gary will make little progression and little plateaus and maybe go back a little bit. And what they'll do is you get discouraged, and they'll haul out that first day videotape, and they'll have you watch it. And you go, oh, yeah. I'm a lot better than I was back then. And that gives you encouragement. So this might sound kind of contradictory. When I read this passage about the big picture and remembering that there's a covenant that was given before the law and how the law fits into this and why I need Jesus Christ, I've got to keep my eye on the top, but I also got to look back and not get dissatisfied with I'm not there yet. I've got to be encouraged by how far we've come because, friends, we live in the sanctification time. And Galatians has a lot of great messages for us about being sanctified and what are we depending on to be sanctified. I don't want to go too long into this because it's really for next week, but our flesh wants to depend on rules. We want to depend on things that we control, that we do, and I know I'm being righteous. That's not what it's about. There's nothing bad about doing good things, but you can't depend on the good things for your righteousness. And that my friends, is chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. So as the men would come up, they're going to help uh, observe communion this morning.